Innovation divas really know the who, what, and why of inventing and love that they can share their knowledge, connections, and great women-invented products with their audience. Meet Melinda Knight, businesswoman, inventor, expert social media, and celebrity gifting guru, and her co-host, Deanna Cohen, who has been inventing products, businesses, marketing contests, and events for over 20 years. The Innovation Divas not only host this fantastic show, they also run the only network award program and events for women inventors. If you need the connections to buyers, the media, or companies that can take your product to the next level, then you are listening to the right show. Now here to share the who, what, and why of inventing, your innovation divas, Melinda Knight and Diana Cohen. Well, welcome, welcome. I didn't know who was going to start I it off. I know, <laughs> I know. Sometimes we have that problem. Like, no, you go. It's like yeah. the four-way stop. You know, no, you go, you go. <laughs> and then we'll talk over each other. But, you know, that's the beauty of, of uh, you know, technology is, and, is at least and, we can be present. And internet radio and dogs barking in the background. I know. Gosh, I've got a zoo here, everybody, if you didn't know. So it's uh, sometimes a little loud, but uh, they're usually quiet unless they're supposed to, to uh, you know. It doesn't matter. It shows that you are a animal lover and that our next guest, even though his name is really Noah, where yours should be Noah, <laughs> his, you know, I mean, that. look, we, we all know what, what kind of uh, two-by-twos you're bringing in, two dogs, two cats, two fish. We, you got them all, girl. <laughs> I, I would have more if I could, but my husband might divorce me at that point. <laughs> we, we don't want that. We do no, that, that would not be good. So definitely not. <laughs> So let's talk about all the exciting things that are happening. I just want to let our audience know before we bring Noah on because it has a direct relationship to what he can talk about and and share his bit of knowledge with our community is that we are doing all these amazing things for inventors all day long. I mean, I'm not like patting ourselves on the back, but there are some things that we can't do and things that Noah, our next guest, can. But one of the cool things that we're doing currently is that we're running a really fun contest, if you will. I mean, it's bigger and greater than just a contest because these people are really going to have a chance to get their products into a national catalog that has over 100 million um, circulated every year, Harriet Carter catalog, and one of the leaders in the as seen on TV industry, Top Dog, and they'll have a chance to virtually pitch their product. So we'll talk about that later, but it's just something so in case their product is not ready, we have the guest for you, right, Amanda? Yes. yes, we do. The the extra special person that we're excited to have part of our network, uh, Noah McNeely with Product Quick Start. Welcome to the show again. Hi, and thank you for having me again. It's uh, It was a great pleasure last time, and I look forward to a great conversation today. Um, I do have to warn you, it's pollen season in Georgia, so I'm a little bit sniffly down here. I'll try to keep that to a minimum, but... Um, uh, thanks again for having me, and um, and I look forward to the discussion. Well, hopefully you have some Kleenex beside you, and I think it's pollen season everywhere, so I think everybody can <laughs> I have be a box. sympathetic. Yes, box and, and, you know, use your elbow and all those fun, <laughs> fun right, stuff. Right, exactly. Well, 
Well, we wanted to focus today, you know, just, I mean, we're all in the trenches with the inventors. For us, we're in the, the trenches online, kind of more emotionally, um, connecting them to opportunities in the media and supporting them marketing-wise. But you're really in the trenches helping these ideas really come to fruition. And you're, you're in the nitty-gritty, you know, down there with them, um, you know, Peace. And that's why we like are so excited to have you part of our network because you do fill that void where, like Deanna said, we can't do that. We're not, you know, making prototypes. We're not helping them design or engineer. And it's obviously one of the biggest parts of the inventing process. We usually kind of help them more at the the final end when they're ready for market and ready for us to promote them. And, and uh, but then we can give them the cool resources like you to really take them, you know, to that, to that place where they're ready. So, um, we can hand them off to you. So, so we just wanted to talk about kind of the, the nuts and bolts and some of the questions that we, since we've been all doing this for so many years, questions that inventors have been, you know, that we've heard over the years and things that we know that they're struggling with and kind of the typical things that we see in the industry. Does that sound like a plan? Oh, that sounds great. And um, <clears throat> in fact, the, the areas that uh, you know well are the areas I don't know at all. So this is, uh, it's always good to work with you guys. Well, thank you. We agree too. So, yes, without further ado, let's talk about, I mean, obviously the title of your company says it, Product Quick Start. So, so does that mean that if I've created a product that you could quickly assess it and say, okay, let's get it quickly out the door and into the manufacturing product development phase? Well, absolutely. Of course, different products move at different uh, speeds. I mean, if you come to us with a simple plastic product, I can probably get that made for you and designed and engineered, prototyped, and made relatively quickly. On the other hand, right now we're working on a product that's a fairly complex electronic device. It's got Wi-Fi and it's got Bluetooth and a variety of other bits and pieces to it. So something like that takes a little bit longer. Um, but one of the one of the real meanings behind product quick start, uh, the name, is that we want to we want to first off take a very quick look and go go get to a point where um, we have a reasonable. Uh, reasonable belief that the product has a future, that the product can be produced, that it can be manufactured, that it, can, that it doesn't violate any of the laws of physics or chemistry or mechanics or any of the other, any of the other problems that, that new products can run into before they become products. So we like to go fairly deep, fairly quickly, uh, rather, than, rather than me just work with a client and say, okay, send us all this money, we'll start engineering it, and we'll start prototyping it, and we'll start coordinating the manufacturing we like to take a fairly, fairly deep, quick start just to make sure that the, the, the product has a pathway forward before we go into a much deeper, um, deeper exercise, which costs a lot more money. It's sort of like a stage gate approach, if you're familiar with that, that philosophy, where let's get past that first stage gate. Does it meet the basic requirements? Is it, is it feasible? Is it manufacturable? Does it, does it seem like it addresses a real um, a real need or a real opportunity, or does it answer a real question? Once we get past that stage gate, then we can go deeper into design or engineering or prototyping or whatever the other steps that the, um, that the particular uh, client partner might need. Well, isn't that an important, I mean, those are all important pieces to the puzzle, right? I mean, 
you know, people don't realize that that they have to go. If the, if you're a new inventor, you're 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 looking for any kind of resource that's out there. I mean, you're really looking for anything that could support them. And so, what you're saying is that you're giving them the the beginning stages. But if it's workable and feasible to make that product a real, you know, on the store shelf product, that you can take them even further. Is that what it's what I'm hearing? Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, we, we carry clients all the way to production and beyond. There are some clients that we work with that we actually, through a partner, uh, we actually handle their fulfillment and their warehousing and so forth and so on. Um, I'm a big believer in what I've been calling an inventor ecosystem, where I've, I and, and others have gone out. We found resources that like to work with startups, that like to work with um, inventor entrepreneurs, and that's important because – if I were to try to put an inventor or an or startup or an early-stage company into a fulfillment house that really does a lot of big company work, they're not going to get a lot of attention. So part of this ecosystem, for example, is finding patent strategists and patent attorneys and, and app developers and electronics people and fulfillment people and manufacturers that like to work um, on smaller programs to get started. Now, a lot of times, inventor programs do grow. You know, they go through a pilot run and their pilot production and their first order, and then then it catches fire, and then now they're selling ten times what they thought they were going to sell in the first year. And then we have to help them ramp up in those cases as well. But um, but just back to the the, the sort of um, the, the the big picture. I think, as, as we've discussed in the past, there, there's certainly no shortage of um, <clears throat> people out there that are willing to take advantage of inventors. They, they know that inventors need help, and they know that inventors are looking, as you said, for any resources they can find. But inventors are often they, they're often haven't done this before, so they don't necessarily know if they're getting good advice or bad advice or what have you. So we try to avoid that as much as possible. There's there's a lot of a lot of a lot of people out there that will simply say, okay, send me X thousands of dollars and we'll get this thing going, without taking that step back and saying and asking the question, should this thing move forward? Should we look at changing some things now when it's cheap to change them, rather than just making it the way it is? And that's one of the things we excel at is we would try to be very um, very, I guess, educational. And, and very much uh, we try to put ourselves in the place of the inventor. Inventors have a lot of passion about what they've invented, and, and sometimes that, that means that they can't necessarily um, uh, see if there's a flaw or, or, or something that just a little tweak early on can make a big difference in the end. So, so that's one of the things we try to do very early on with our, with our clients. Well, it sounds like that's really, and this is why we love having you part of the network and we feel comfortable because a lot of times we can't have other product development companies come in because, you know, we won't mention names, we will in private, but we won't, you know, over, over the radio, but um, we don't feel comfortable with them because they will take anything on and they will take the dollar from the inventor. And I think all of us, what makes us all different is that we're very sensitive to the inventor dollar and it's very expensive to bring a product to market. And, and you know, that shows integrity and when a company will do that and, and do it right. And it doesn't mean that that product isn't necessarily viable if it gets the right help, but you'll, you know, start it early on before they're spending all the money on, on tooling and, and, you know, 
uh, all the the prototyping and things that they would need to do to to get it out there. So, do you know some of the questions that we get, um, or one of the big questions is you know in market research in that first you know uh, startup uh, phase, do you? Uh, involve them or encourage them to to get a little bit more market research too on top of the advice that you get them to see if you know really see what the consumer is is wanting to to see or if they think it's a viable product you know when we come back after break he can answer that question we're going to tunes Linda and Diana will return after a short break with more of Innovation Divas. If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can with lessons in joyful living. With your host, Kimberly Rinaldi, Mondays at noon central. Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches lessons in joyful living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Darling, what is going on? Whatever do you mean, dear? Why have you taken me to our special place to eat? Sweetheart, I took you to El Charo on the Ridge tonight because I know you love it, and I wanted this meal to be the very best. Oh, honey, those fajitas smell divine. I know, my dear. Everything about El Charo on the Ridge is wonderful, just like everything about you. Oh, my sweet, sweet man. I can't stand it any longer. Let's take our love of El Charo food and each other to the next level. Marry me, darling. Baby, you don't know how long I've waited for you to ask. Of course I'll marry you. As long as you promise to take me to El Charo's on the ridge on Old Jacksonville Highway by Brookshire's Fresh. Anytime I want, I'll be yours forever. If you need the connections to buyers, media, or companies who can take your product to the next level, then you are listening to the right show. This is the Innovation Divas on Toginet Radio. And now, let's return to your Innovation Divas, Melinda Knight and Deanna Cohen. Well, before we went to break, um, we were speaking with Noah, who was talking, I mean, telling us so much about the inventor space and all the stepping stones of, of getting there. And one of the greatest things that Melinda brought up was this whole idea of market research, because that is a piece that if, if people don't do, right, that they, if they don't ask their friends and their family first, who will be the most honest with them, um, will they really end up with the right, a good product that's viable in the marketplace? So I think that was where Melinda was going in terms of asking you your opinion on market research, Noah. What is your thoughts there? 
Well, uh, I'm a pretty big fan of market research, but um, it, just like most other things, it can be done well and it can be done poorly. Um, you know, now I spend, I, I focus my career at this point on working exclusively with inventor entrepreneurs, but in the past I've worked with very large companies. I've had very large clients uh, like Black & Decker and Procter & Gamble and others, and then I'm not naming anyone guilty here, so those are those are companies that didn't do this, but sometimes I found that very large companies, they have trouble making decisions, uh, and they'll go out and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on market research to avoid making that decision. So there are cases where I think market research can be counterproductive. Um, it slows things down, and, and, it, and it, uh, it really becomes a covering yourself situation, sometimes for individuals working in large companies. However, on the inventor side, I think it's very important to understand the market that, that you're developing a product for because even though you, you may have a great idea, it may be a great solution to a problem that you experience, what you may not know is how broadly that problem um, exists or do, uh, do enough other people experience that problem or that opportunity opportunity in the way that you do? Uh, and will they appreciate the solution that you've come up with? Uh, I think it's it's a case for inventor entrepreneurs that we want to balance the the scope of that with the budget uh, and with the available resources. Most inventor entrepreneurs aren't going to go, aren't going to have the ability to go and spend thirty, forty thousand dollars on a very formal um, series of focus groups and, and et cetera. However. There's a lot of market research that can be done for just a few thousand dollars. And um, I mentioned the um, the inventor ecosystem idea earlier. And we work with a company, um, a very small company, but very effective, that does market research in in small scale for for small companies, and they get very good they get very good results out of doing that. Now, market research is about reducing risk. It can never eliminate risk altogether. But the more you understand the market and the more you understand how your product will be received by that market, the more confidence you can have moving forward. Even if you can't afford to spend you know, a few thousand dollars, maybe you're really early on, my advice to people is find people that, that will give you honest answers. So not your mom, not your wife, not your husband, not your kids, not anyone you go to church with, not anyone that, that, that's going to tell you what they think you want to hear. In fact, oftentimes the best thing to do is to set up uh, like through a through some sort of group or a club or whatever you can find, set up an event and actually go and say, "Hey, I'm doing market research on this product for someone else." So they don't even think it's you necessarily. You can often get much more honest feedback in that in that case. And excuse me. You don't necessarily have to have a product all the way designed or prototyped or et cetera to to start getting some of that early feedback. Sometimes all you need is, is, a, is a nice illustration or rendering of the product and something like a sales sheet where you're, you're, you're almost showing what, what might look like a magazine ad and getting people's responses to that. And ask, but you have to ask the right questions. If you ask a question like, hey, do you like this, you're going to get a lot of yeses, but that's not a deep enough question to ask. You need to ask, this, this product sells for $29.99. Would you buy it based on these features and why or why not? And and uh, I'm not a market researcher, but I've seen those types of questions asked. And, and, again, if you ask the wrong questions, you're going to get answers, but they may not be informative answers or they might steer you in the wrong direction. Um, so to your question, I'm a big fan of it, but I think you need to balance it against what your, your resources, uh, what they are. 
Well, I think with inventors, too, I mean, there's always this side of the inventor. I'm not saying all of them are like this, but and it's understandable that they would be untrusting or afraid that their idea is going to be taken. And I think at that beginning stage or when they're in, you know, the process of, of you know, bringing an idea to, to market, um, you know, they're nervous about sharing it with people. They think they're going to steal their idea. And, yeah, you know. There is the risk, you know, but like you said, it's risky to take a product to market anyway, and there are ways that you can cover yourself even if you don't have a patent at that place with non-disclosure agreements, and most people shouldn't have a problem signing something like that. I don't have a problem right, right. signing and you're not, an NDA you're when be- you're, you know, doing that. So sometimes there comes a point where you can't hide. <laughs> you got to right. get out there And you're not going to be bit. doing this. This, this market research, we're not going to be collecting a group of CEOs of companies that, that, that make similar products to do that. You know, so, so if you, you think about it, if you're doing a product for, you know, teenage boys that ride bicycles, you get a bunch of teenage boys that ride bicycles together, the odds of one of them stealing your idea are fairly yeah. limited. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, of course, go, go through the NDA process. There's a lot of, you know, there's NDAs online and in other places, and uh, an attorney can draft one for you, of course, if you probably for just a couple hundred dollars. And uh, they're fairly uh, ubiquitous um, documents now. And uh, and you need to do that if you're planning to go the patenting route anyway, because yeah. you need to be able to say you've only disclosed the product under um, under confidentiality agreements. Because if you do it without an NDA, you can't legally say that is my understanding i'm not a lawyer but that, that yeah. that's 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 what i've come to learn over the years well and it's just good it's just good business when you're you know bringing a product to market to document 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 you know keep notes document when you talk to people i mean we could go down that whole path but i think with market research um you know that's that's always the fear and going you know and asking people and you're exactly right if you're going to you're the consumer that's probably going to buy your product the chances of them stealing it is is you know let's let's be realistic about it so <laughs> so and that's you know that's one of the questions um kind of leads into a question of uh, that inventor asked that um he'd like us to discuss um his name's Rico Sutton and he he's wanting to find inventors willing to work together on projects and i think that's um an interesting i mean that's kind of where we fill that void um is is bringing inventors together to connect because we, we feel like inventors really inspire each other and can su- support each other more on the emotional th- realm where they, you know, aren't down that road. But I think um, inventors innately are he's a little bit secretive and and not all of them, but they don't always, you know, want to necessarily work together. So we really push them into that. And I think that helps with the market research side side of things too, to get feedback from people who are going down the same realm, you know, as you. They don't have the same product of obviously you guys aren't in competition with each other. You don't have to worry about that. But you can complement each other um, and learn from each other. So I think that seems to be a common thing that we hear from inventors is where can we connect with other inventors that um, can give us the feedback and the, and the support that we need. Yeah, and so. I think that's a great idea. I think forums of inventors is, is, mm-hmm. is excellent. I mean, one of the, I think there's two challenges with inventors. Number one, they do tend to be a little bit secretive for, for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. And then number two, they also tend to be very passionate about 
the, the space that they're inventing for, or at least, at least the ones that I find have the highest chance of success are very passionate about that. So I think part of that is also you know, finding someone that's inventing a product that doesn't compete with yours is, is part of that, but also finding someone that at least understands the space you're inventing for. For example, if you're, if you're inventing something for, for toddlers, to use with toddlers, a juvenile product, it would be great to connect up with other people that are interested in inventing for that space, too, because of the learnings you can share. You know, well, well I, I know about this, this place that has all this research on toddlers, and this place has all this research about car seats and et cetera. I think that that could have the most powerful um, impact there. Not to say you can't learn from, from other inventors that are in totally different spaces, but um, at least in that case, you're sharing passion with someone in, in the space that you're interested in. Um, but but there's there's a lot of inventors out there that have learned a lot of lessons the easy way and the hard way, I and mean, it's certainly better to learn from those than to make those same mistakes yourself. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And, you know, I mean, you touched on some other things, you know. I mean, there's been so much conversation about, you know, trust and, and protection. Mm-hmm. And, and so what is your thought, though, when it comes to, you know, we here at the Housewares show sometimes that sometimes it's best – just if you're in a, either a provisional patent phase, which, you know, now the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is taking forever. We're going to have to take a break in about uh, two or three minutes. But um, maybe we can touch on this when we get back. But w- what is your thought on, you know, getting first to market? I mean, do you, do you have um, a feeling there in terms of um, what you suggest to your inventors? Just go out and, instead of waiting for the provisional to be approved? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that depends a little bit on the market you're going after. If you have a new invention that's that's going to have such a tight patent around it that no one's going to be able to, to design around it, then I think it's maybe less less critical. You want to get to the market as soon as you can because you can start generating revenue and then you start developing Gen 2 and Gen 3 of that product. But in other cases, if you have something that um, – you know, there's probably a lot of people already thinking in that general direction, like can you kind of baby bottle or whatever that, that, that might be somewhat ubiquitous. I think being first to market can, can mean a lot. And one of the reasons for that is, get to the, is getting to the market quickly, selling a good bit of the product, and then probably getting out. Because in those cases, even if you have a patent, it's unlikely to be strong enough to protect you forever. So uh, it, it, it depends on the situation. But in some cases, the best thing to do is to get to the market, sell for the first couple of years. Then when competition comes on board, then you start exit, exiting the market and use those proceeds to fund the next venture and, and so forth and so on. Um, patents, patents are not always as protective as we'd like them to be. And uh, they're also only as good as we're willing to defend them. I mean, if, if you're not so prepared true. to spend... Yeah, if you're not prepared to spend tens of thousands of dollars to to fight a patent case, then the patent's really, really just documentation that, that you were there first. And um, uh, but at the end of the day, that there's there's no government watchdog agency that comes around and slaps patent violators down. That that's up to the mm-hmm. patent holder to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, a we patent have SWAT team. <laughs> yeah. We, we we have to go take a break in about 30 seconds, but when we come back, let's talk. There was an area that we that you touched on a little bit before about fulfillment houses. May, maybe some of our inventors don't even know what a fulfillment house is. So, And you said you've been partnering with um, with one in particular or a few. So let's talk about that process and, and, and help them along. We'll be right back with Noah from Quick Start.
Linda and Diana will return after a short break with more of Innovation Divas. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. A common food myth is that bread will make you fat. The truth is quite the opposite. If you eat the right kinds of breads and other grains, you can actually lose weight. The fiber found in whole grain foods helps slow digestion, keeping you fuller longer. True whole grain bread products will have whole grain or whole wheat flour as the first ingredient. If you see anything else, It is not what you want to eat, even though it may say wheat. A study in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition found that overweight people who acquired all of their grain servings from whole grains lost more belly fat than those who skipped the whole grains. You should still avoid refined grains like enriched flour, but a moderate amount of whole grain bread can be a great asset to a balanced diet. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. If you need the connections to buyers, media, or companies who can take your product to the next level, then you are listening to the right show. This is the Innovation Divas on TogiNet Radio. And now, let's return to your Innovation Divas, Melinda Knight and Deanna Cohen. Well, welcome back. We're here with Noah McNeely, our good friend from Product Quick Start. We're having some fabulous, fabulous conversations about everything uh, dealing with product development, and we're kind of going down the the line of, of, uh, you know, protecting your idea. But Deanna brought up a great subject that we'd like to talk more about is uh, uh, fulfillment houses. So would you like to kind of discuss your experience in, in helping the inventor in that area? Sure. Um, so when I when I say fulfillment houses, I mean uh, companies that handle the warehousing and then the shipping mm-hmm. as orders are placed. Now, in some cases, they do other things as well. Um, we we have one company that we use, and, and the product one of our, one of our clients, the product that they sell, it comes from uh, Asia, uh, actually disassembled because if it were assembled, it would be very big and it would take up a lot of space in the container. So it comes in parts. And this particular fulfillment house. Um, basically stockpiles all those parts, and when someone places an order, this is a fairly large and expensive device, but when someone places an order, they assemble one, and they ship it. Um, the fulfillment houses basically help a, a young company uh, avoid the, the necessity of becoming a brick-and-mortar uh, entity. So um, if you 
don't want to go out and have your own warehouse and your own, um, you know, buy a forklift and all the other things that go with, with starting uh, starting up a, uh, a product company, um, a fulfillment house is a good way to do that. And they come in all different shapes and sizes. Uh, one of the companies we work with is basically a mom-and-pop type operation, but they ship and they warehouse and ship product for companies big and small. And we send uh, a good many clients to them because they, they, they get a lot of hands-on attention because they, they do work in, in smaller-scale stuff. Now, on the other end, there are very large fulfillment houses that they do this for very large companies. And um, oftentimes, inventors, if you get to a very large fulfillment house or or a very large entity of any type, it's hard to get the level of attention that, that you might need. You're going to nece- not necessarily be highest priority all the time, unless that company sees a, a fairly aggressive growth pattern with what you're doing. Um, now, I have some clients that actually they use Amazon um, as a sort of fulfillment house. They actually uh, they sell the product on Amazon. They also sell it through their own websites. And um, um, Amazon, it's kind of almost a, a consignment uh, situation there. And I don't know all the details, but basically uh, instead of Amazon owning the product, they're basically warehouses. And when, when someone places an order, they, they ship it uh, through Amazon, and uh, and then they charge a fee for that, that percentage. I, I don't know what those numbers are, but, um, but but there are more and more opportunities for young companies to, to really avoid being, uh, you know, avoid the startup costs of, of brick and mortar, and, and um, there are a lot of companies out there that, that can help with that. Well, we've seen a lot of inventors have success with Amazon, for sure. That's that's a you know an interesting path that we've seen people go on that um, we've seen success. So, and uh, you've you've helped. I mean, I'm assuming that you're really involved in the manufacturing part of things. I mean, I dealt with that with my own invention of really kind of getting stuck where my my idea and my uh, prototype and the things I came up with basically weren't manufacturable. It was going to cost me, you know, thousands of dollars to to actually make my have my product manufactured or my idea manufactured. I mean, it was just so I I lost out very early on because I didn't get that early early on help in the design to make sure it was manufacturable. And I'm assuming this is an area you know a lot about. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really the core of what we do. I mean, we, we make stuff. Uh, we, we design and develop stuff to make it better and make it more makeable, for lack of a better word. But, uh, I like makeable. We, we, <laughs> yeah, I, I like it too. But uh, you know, anything can be made. You, know, you can, well within reason. I mean, certainly I can't make a time machine or something like that, but with enough time and money, we can do almost anything, but that doesn't necessarily mean we should do that. And there's a big difference between making one of something, a prototype or a dozen of something, and making thousands, tens tens of thousands, or a million of something. And those are things that have to be uh, accounted for. And the earlier we start uh, accounting for that, even in that early, early stage, maybe maybe the, the, the inventor just has something they built in their garage, or maybe they just have an idea on paper. If we can start thinking about that at that stage, that makes it so much faster, cheaper, and, and, and more painless, less painful, I should say, to get that product through the process of manufacturing than if we wait to the, the last minute to do that. Now, I've I've had a lot of, um, over the years, met people that, that, that it really ended up being kind of sad stories because they, they'd already gone out. They, for whatever reason, they went up, they tooled up what, whatever they had. They spent tens of thousands or more 
making their molds, making their tools, and, and, and they run into some sort of problem. And then they come to us, can you fix it? Well, at that point, sure, we can fix it, but if you come to us when we started, I could have saved you $100,000, or you could be on the market already. And um, and unfortunately, sometimes we meet people that they, they discover us long after they've spent the money they had to spend, and that, and, and I can't help them at that point um, because – it, it costs money to, to, to design, engineer, and manufacture things. But, uh, but yeah, that, that's really the core of what we do is development and manufacturing. And then, as, as I said, through this sort of ecosystem idea, we've been pulling on more and more, I would call them allies, that, that we can hand our clients to at different stages that, that they're just outside of what we do. Well, you know, it, it is pretty amazing that you have all these steps for the inventors to go through. I mean, many times there's a company that does A and doesn't do B. And so what what do you think makes your your company and what you do um, so unique in that respect? I mean, is it because of the past uh, business that you were part of and your knowledge base from that? I mean, what gives you the, the, the skill sets to be able to help these, these inventors through these processes? Well, I think there are a few things. Uh, certainly experiences are part of, of the, the story. Um, I have a colleague, a uh, fellow um, uh, principal in Product Quick Start named Don Muntner, and he has about 25 or 30 years of experience developing and, and launching products and, and a variety of different experiences. I'm, I've been doing this for about 16 years myself, but through that time, we've developed products for, very again, very large companies, probably some products that, that you've owned over the course of time, and, we, and we've developed, always worked with startups as well. So I think that experience, we've seen a lot in that time. We've seen the industry evolve and change. I know when I started in this business, getting a 3D print, that was like that was like a really big deal, and it was like it cost thousands of dollars, and it's like don't touch it, don't don't mess with it, don't break it. Now I can get a three D print for like forty bucks, and, and so so that there's a lot that's changed, but then there's a lot that pretty much stays the same. I mean, plastic molding is still plastic molding, sheet metal work is still sheet metal work, and so forth and so on. So experience is part of it. Diversity is another big part of it. I myself, I'm degreed in both mechanical engineering. I used to actually used to work for GE back when they had a plastics division when I was um, an undergrad. And then I went back to school and studied industrial design, which is the aesthetic side and the, the form side, the human, the human side of product development. So, so combining those two things together really allows me to look at um, projects from a lot of different angles. And my partner's the same way, and our other colleagues um, uh, in, in in the outside of this company tend to be fairly diverse in their experience as well. So we're not just the engineer that you say, okay, cab this up for me, make a 3D model of this. There are a lot of people out there who do that and do that very well, but we can also look at it from the standpoint of the manufacturability, of the engineering, of the feasibility, of the design, while we're going through that process. And then I think the third and final and possibly most important thing is at this point we work only with entrepreneurs and, and startups and early stage companies. So we've streamlined what we do and we focused what we do and how we do it to, to support um, to support that market. Uh, rather than, you know, coming in on Monday and doing a big project for Black and Decker and then trying to squeeze in my inventor clients, I only work with inventors, so I give them a great deal of focus. And that that's really where uh, 
where my passion lies. I know I've said this before, but I just wish I had, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I kicked myself. I wish just, you know, what, seven years ago I had met you because <laughs> I wouldn't have gone down the path that I had, you know, with my, because, you know, you can, you meet the engineers and they boy, yeah, I can draw a fancy CAD drawing of what you want and, you know, 3D rendering and this is super cool, but, you know, to, you, there are, you really have to delve deeper into that and you can spend a lot of money and go down the wrong path where right. if you might meet the right person who can really make it manufacturable is so, right. you know, instrumental in the success of your idea. Yeah, we have a client right now that uh, her product is in the pet category and, and she, she went down that path. She, uh, she hired, um, I don't know, she didn't tell me who they were where they were, but hired engineers, and they catted up pretty much exactly what uh, what she wanted or what she told them, but they didn't, that, that was all they did. So fortunately, before she tooled that up, she, she found us, and we're going through essentially one of these audits of, of her product for her, and, and we're already finding a number of things that are going to be relatively simple for us to, to fix, and she's going to end up with a much better product and uh, a much cheaper product to manufacture, but just as functional, perhaps even more functional than if she just gone out with what she started with. So fortunately, she was very open to that, and, and she's also very open to having her original idea as an inventor evolve a little bit and get a little bit better, and she, she was willing to listen to her our experience there. So that, that was a very positive experience. And, and unfortunately, there's, you know, I, I also run into people that don't have that attitude. You know, there's people that come in our door that are like, I just want it to be just like this. It's my idea and don't change it at all. And, and well, yeah, I can do that, but I'm not really doing you a service if I do that. Now, it might be the best idea in, in the history of the world and it might be perfect, but at least let us go through the process of questioning it and challenging it. And if it can't stand up to the, the challenges we present, then, then maybe you shouldn't maybe you shouldn't invest any more money in it because if we're going to challenge it, uh, other people uh, other people certainly will as well. But um, you know, there are a lot of different personalities out there and uh, our, our best clients are the ones that really want to um, leverage uh, what we what we know and, and what we've done and what we've seen. Well, we're about ready to go to break in about thirty seconds, but you hit on a word that I love to come back and talk about. I li- I haven't u- seen it used in this realm per se. Audit, auditing your idea, auditing your product. So maybe we can delve into that. Your idea, you know, actually seeing if it's viable. What areas do you need to tweak? And some more examples of what you've seen when we get back. So uh, we're about ready to take a break, um, and we'll be back in just a few. Linda and Diana will return after a short break with more of Innovation Divas. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. 
Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Do you need to improve your short-term and long-term memory? Most of us would answer yes to that. And the good news is that by eating a handful of nuts, you can accomplish that. Nuts of all kinds are full of magnesium. And researchers at MIT found that magnesium seems to promote new connections between brain cells. Nuts, especially cashews and almonds, boasts about 25% of your daily requirement of magnesium. Nuts are also a hearty snack and stick with you when you eat them. Be aware though, if you're watching your weight, nuts are high in calories. I love nuts, and for a snack, I put a few almonds in a baggie, along with some raisins, and it's a great snack to take with me on the run. The chewy and crunchy element is good also. So improve your brain power and consume a small amount of nuts several times per week. I'm Annette Hammond. If you need the connections to buyers, media, or companies who can take your product to the next level, then you are listening to the right show. This is the Innovation Divas on Toginet Radio. And now, let's return to your Innovation Divas, Melinda Knight and Deanna Cohen. Well, we are back with Noah from Product Quick Start. And look, Noah, we, we know that there is so much that you can be telling our inventor com, uh, community and be able to help them on. And Melinda was right. There is this auditing concept that you brought up. Um, is that like a, a, a market research or is it, it, it sounds like it's bigger. So can you explain a little bit um, more about what that means? Well, the way I'm using the term, uh, it's not really market research related. It's, it's more focused on feasibility, manufacturability, and uh, we, we also sometimes do um, what I would call a design audit. For example, um, if we can get a good understanding of the, the client's marketing intent or market intent, we might be able to make some suggestions from an aesthetic or a form a, um, an interface or usability uh, stance as well. So it, it comes in different forms. Uh, actually, the quick start uh, um, invention assessment uh, that we talked about, touched on earlier, that, that's sort of the most basic form. That, that's for people that are very early on. They have the idea, maybe it's on paper, but they haven't really um, taken it into a final form yet or anything close to a final form. And we look at that from really from three columns. Feasibility, does it, does it violate any mechanical or physical laws? Manufacturability, is there a path to manufacture for this? Or has it got to be made out of something that just, in, in using a process that's really just not, doesn't exist? And if there's not a path, how can we change it to make sure there is a path? And then we also look at it from the, um, again, the design side as well. Now, sometimes we go get a good bit deeper, uh, deeper audit. This is often for um, cases where they've already, the inventor or the, 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 the client has already um, taken the, the design to a certain level. Maybe they have a prototype. Maybe they have done some CAD work or had some CAD work done. And then we're looking at a much, um, much more a micro, a macro and a micro scale. We're looking at details. Are there any 
like if it's a plastic product. Are there any um, uh, what I would call plastic design errors? Are there any, and this is going to get a little technical, but thick to thin sections or undercuts or um, or just areas where we suspect there will be sink marks or voids or all sorts of other little problems on a detail level that, that can crop up in plastic manufacturing. And we do the same thing if it were metal or, or whatever the process is. So we can do a much deeper audit, um, again, looking at those details. But it's, it's really, I, I kind of look at it like if you're going to buy a house, you're going to most likely hire a, a home inspector to look at the house, make sure there's not any issues. Now, developing a new product, a new invention, that's a pretty big investment, too. In many cases, much more expensive than a house. Um, and what I tell people is, wouldn't you want someone to do an inspection of, of what you have before you go deep into your investment there? And that, that's really what this is about, is let's audit this and, and, and just identify potential problems or identify definite problems and solutions, identify potential problems and potential solutions, and then identify these are the areas that, that look very promising, And but, but if we, we did adjust them, we could either save money in the long run or have more functionality or whatever the case may be. So it's it's... The way I use the word is basically experts, designers, engineers, uh, manufacturing uh, gurus that, that take a look at either a, a fairly top level or very deep look, just depending on the type of um, the type of program that we're that we're doing. Got it. Well, you know, look at the end of the day, all these pieces of invention are so critical in terms of the final stage, which is what will actually get into the consumer's hands. And that's one of the things that I think inventors, and I as one of them, because Melinda, that's why we're even in this industry, is that we started creating products independently of each other um, and and didn't succeed. I won't use the word failure because <laughs> we actually succeeded in a different way because we knew what not to do, which were, you know, not go down a certain you know, path because maybe that product wasn't viable. So are you ever in a position where, you know, you say to someone, look, either you're going to price yourself well out of the marketplace or this is really, you know, one of those products that actually shouldn't be in the marketplace. And, and how do you do that in a, in a kind, I'm sure you're very kind, but <laughs> do you actually say that to someone? But we we do, and I would say on balance, we probably don't work with long term with more people than we do work with long term, and for for those reasons. Uh, now, now in some cases, we we identify here's the problems, here's the challenges. You know, you you want this thing that it's got a curved screen and this that and the other that doesn't exist, or that's really really expensive, or whatever the case may be. Sometimes they come back. They, they go away, they think about it, and then they come back and they're willing to make give up some of the things they really wanted. They just weren't feasible, and they're willing to make some changes, and then they actually become great clients. Other times, the, the, the core of what they're trying to do is just, it's just not workable um, from our standpoint. Now, I, I, could, I could charge some money and develop it to a prototype. Like I said, I can make one of just about anything, but I, I wouldn't feel right about that. I, I just wouldn't... Uh, wouldn't um, it wouldn't be a story I'd, 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 I'd want to tell my children someday, if that makes sense. So it's it's a case where, you know, we try to be polite, but it's more important that we be honest than polite. I mean, you know, we're not we're not coming in just telling people that their idea is stupid or anything like that. But we do go through a methodical process of, of identifying, here's the problems we see with it. Here's why we think 
as is, this is not going to succeed. Now, most people take that very well. And once in a while, we run into some people that just get angry with us and they don't call us back, and that, that's okay. But, uh, but you know, there's a lot of different people in the world. We all have different personalities. Well, you know, I think the overall umbrella of, of what, you know, we've seen over the and all the years that we've been dealing with inventors is the number one thing is that they need to be open-minded. And I don't think a successful inventor out there, you know, didn't have to adjust something or change something. If you're so set in your idea and so set that it has to be exactly like this and you don't listen to the experts, I, I don't see how you could be successful. And I, I think that that might be, you know, kind of the key ingredient that an inventor, if you want to be successful, they need to be open-minded and, he, and hear what others have right. to say. Would you agree? And, and, and we absolutely, and we have to be open-minded too, because sometimes yeah. we'll push back on something just because, you know, despite how great of a meeting we have or a phone call or a download or whatever, there's going to be something we miss sometimes, something that's really important to this market space. Uh, and we don't know every market space. So oftentimes we rely on that, that client to, to help us. Like if a client is an electrician and they've got this new product for electricians, we may not know all the ins and outs of that industry. So we might push back on something. And then that leads to a discussion of why that's really important. And then we help work a, work find another workaround to still accomplish that. So we have to be open-minded, too. And um, they, at the end of the day, that might be a really expensive feature that, that just has to be there because it's critical. And we may have said early on, you know, let's think about dropping this because of how expensive it is, but that may come back and be, be so important that we just can't. Then we look at other ways to save costs and, and or we do go out and do the market research and say, well, will this market support an $89 tool, even though we were originally thinking it was a $49 tool or whatever the case is. And uh, um, so that, that's a two-way street. And um, it comes down to having good discussions in, in both parties, neither party um, being being too rigid in, in their thinking. And uh, that's how we've uh, been successful uh, over the years as well. Well, isn't that true with any relationship? You've got to be, you know, it really, this is kind of a, a, that same philosophy of open communication, trustworthy, you know, uh, being able to, to be open-minded and, and not too, you know, rigid on both ends. So it's, it really is about, you know, a relationship of sorts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's, uh, if we work with someone all the way through, um, you know, if it's one that goes all the way to market, uh, then, then we're going to be working together quite a bit. And uh, it's probably a good idea if we like and respect each other. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't well, that is, true? I know. I was just going to say that's probably one of the most important pieces in our industry mm-hmm. is, is, is getting along and trusting um, our partners because that's what you become for these inventors, a partner in making their product become a reality and that's or their idea become a reality and that's such an important piece to to the methodology and the the success of these inventors is really you know where where it comes from so we appreciate your time so much noah and obviously um if you want to get in touch with noah and his team you can go to product quick start um, and get in touch with them and um, say that the girls from Innovation Divas sent you. Uh, but Absolutely. This, this is really a, a great company to work with and a um, really great way of making sure that you're getting the, the real truth about 
how your product can be done in an effective way. So thank you, Noah. Yeah, thank you so well, much, thank Noah. You. Thank you. Thank you again for the day. opportunity. Yeah, you too. I always enjoy these discussions. So thank yes. you. Yes, so do we. Well, Melinda, we have about two minutes left. Anything you need to say for our final two minutes of the hour? Well, I just think it's, you know, these, these shows, it's really exciting to have inventors on and listen to their journeys and their, and their products. And that's always, a, a, you know, a, I think something that gives us a high when we're on the show. Um, but also, I love these episodes where, you know, really, we're delving into the things that the inventors really need to know. And, you know, bringing on experts and uh, that really understand the process. And we can have consultants and this and that. But they're really not necessarily hands-on with the product. So I love this angle of really the hands-on development part of a product or bringing an idea to market that we don't, you know, get to have very often. And that's why I think we're blessed to have Noah, you know, part of our um, community and our network and a great resource in our expert pavilion. Um, so that's something I, I think, you know, we're just so happy about. I agree. I agree. And don't forget, everybody, that we do have a website called Inventors Network. That's Inventors with a Z, network.com. We are an, an incredible resource to connect you to people like Noah and also to great opportunities like our virtual pitch session, which is coming up May 18th. So if you haven't applied already, um, go on to our website and send us a quick email, and we'll send you out a uh, application and we'll get you uh, considered for this amazing virtual pitch for Harriet Carter Mag catalog and Top Dog Direct, the leader in as seen on TV products. So pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, super great opportunity. As always, we like to bring those to you. Absolutely. Well, have a great day. Um, we'll see you soon. And uh, thanks to our team over at TogiNet. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Melinda Knight and Deanna Cohen return next week with more of the Innovation Divas. They really know the who, what, and why of inventing and love that they can share their knowledge, connections, and great women-invented products with this audience. Contact the Divas for more information on how to sponsor or attend. Then join us every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Standard.